We sit glued to the TV set all night And every night Why go into the outside world at all? It's such a fright We got nothing better to do Than watch TV and have a couple of... Welcome to TV Times 3, episode 230. On this episode, we've got some news, and then we'll be talking about season 3 of the ATX Television Festival. And then discussing recent episodes of Halt and Catch Fire and Chasing Life. Plus some TV recommendations at the end. You can find the full show notes with start times for each segment at tvtimes3.com slash 230. I'm Jason the TV Holic from TVholic.com, and this week I have joining me. Hi, it's Danielle at Danielle TVD from Studio System News. And I'm Emma Loggins from Fanbolt.com. Thank you both for joining me this week. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, in a minute we'll uh, we'll talk about all the fun Danielle and Emma had at ATX. But uh, first, a couple of news items. Comedy Central renewed a few things. Uh, Inside Amy Schumer for a third season and Review and Trip Tank for a second. Danielle, do you watch any of those? I'm actually watching Inside Amy Schumer right now. Um, I've loved her since she was on Last Comic Standing. So I think what she gets to do is is really fun just with the actual stand-up and then the interview sections and the sketches. It's just a really unique way to, to do that kind of show. Yeah, I've, so far I've only seen basically like, you know, bits and sketches that come out. Uh, I haven't actually sat down to watch a, a whole episode. How about you, Emma? Have you been watching any of those? I have not... Yeah, I hear good things about review, but I haven't watched. Uh, I haven't watched that one yet either. Yeah, I haven't had a chance. I mean, I, there's the original, which is pretty easily available online. But to be honest, I'm not really interested in watching the original. <laughs> so now that I'm now that I'm back from um, Texas, and Andrew Daly was was at the ATX festival this year, um, I actually want to check out his version because it, it sounds really funny and it sounds really interesting. I just haven't had a chance yet. Yeah, there's all these different little shows and stuff that, you know, keep expanding out, you know, some of these comedy shows, you know, like Inside Amy Schumer and stuff, uh, or even, you know, like Last Week Tonight with John Oliver now, and there's just, they're funny, but it's like, with all the other stuff that I'm watching, it's like, it feels like I don't have time to, like, add in these others, even if they're, uh, you know, even if they're uh, really funny. Speaking of shows that I haven't uh, watched, uh, MTV has renewed Faking It for a second season. Uh, either of you watch Faking It? <laughs> nope. I watched the pilot, and I really like the idea of it. I just don't love the execution of the writing, so I stopped after the pilot. But um, everyone keeps saying that it gets better, that it's not not to use the phrase in, a, in an offhanded way, but the show, that the, the writing is stronger as you go along. So I, I'll probably tune back in, especially now that I know if you get invested, you're going to get more of a resolution because more is coming. I think for me, I sort of forgot about it because I stopped watching Awkward. Mm. Like after the – I watched like the first episode this season and then I think it like premiered like the next week the or next the week, week after yeah. or something. And I, I have – after watching the, the – or I can't remember. Is it the return of Awkward for the season or was it a new season? It, it was a new season, but but you're right. They they did a back-to-back episodes of Awkward. Yeah. I watched that and I was like, yeah, I'm done with Awkward. And then I – so I was like sort of have like skipped MTV for a while and kind of – for, even, forgot about this show until, well, until two things. One, I saw 
just now that it, today that it got renewed. And yesterday I saw uh, Amory post a thing that she didn't get it, like why everybody was loving the show so much. Right. And so it's like <laughs> those those were the two uh, two recent things that made me remember about the show. Uh, lastly, uh, Showtime has renewed uh, Penny Dreadful for a second season, which is not surprising considering most premium dramas dramas get a second season (laughs) almost no matter what but uh, this one seems to be doing uh pretty well uh have you either of you been watching penny dreadful danielle i'm not i actually i again i watched the first two i've kind of hit my wall with shows that are not about real people like there 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 are human characters on penny dreadful but but a good chunk of it is you know the dracula and the frankenstein's monster and and all of that, and I've I've just hit my wall. Like I I can't relate to those characters, and I don't want to watch them at this point. So I, that might come back around. I you know there was a long time where I wasn't interested in genre shows, and then I got really invested in them, and now I'm kind of back. So I'm sure I'm sure I'll I'll be interested in it at another point, but not currently. How about you, Emma? Yeah, I don't get Showtime, so I haven't checked it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, uh, I like the first episode, and I like. I like sort of the idea of tying like a historical time to and mm-hmm. and like putting you know sort of famous literary characters into sort of a real time frame. Uh, I like that type of idea, but so far with the show I'm just like after two or three episodes I'm just like lost as to what the purpose is, like what mm-hmm. I don't get like what people are doing and why. And so I'm sort of lo- I've sort of lost interest from the initial initial fascination of you know, sort of the idea and the, you know, the world that they were creating. But now the characters within the world, they haven't really given me anything that I want to continue to follow these people in this world. So I, I've watched four. That's pretty good. I I don't. <laughs> but after the fourth one, I I just felt even like more lost. It's like and wow. that was like that. We're going in the wrong direction. Right. More episodes should not make me feel more lost as we go along. No, that's true. But like most people, if they feel that way, they won't give it four episodes. They won't stick around that long. So at least you give it a fair shot, you know. And now if if and you can, I feel like when you've watched four, you can kind of bow out and say, I, I gave it a fair shot and it didn't work out. Whereas I feel kind of bad for only watching two. <laughs> I feel like, all right, I should give it another chance, but I just have no desire to. Well, I kind of felt like the first two gave you enough that they finally introduced like most of the people mm-hmm. that they were going to be following for the most part. And so I was like, okay, so from now we'll get, and then in like the next couple episodes, not so much. <laughs> it's like, right. it's like, we've got these characters and we've got this world, but uh, there's, you know, spooky and creepy things going on, but I don't really care to follow any of these, uh, you know, any of yeah. these people. I kind of want to watch the fifth episode just because some everybody is posting about how great a performance Eva Green has in mm-hmm. uh, in the episode. So maybe I'll watch it, but I don't know. It just uh, it's still it's it's on demand. I can maybe get to it someday. I don't know. Right. Uh, all right, that'll do it for the news. Now we'll move on to talk a little bit about the uh, ATX Television Festival. Uh, season three, as uh, they they term their uh, this is their third one of these. Right, Danielle, is this your second time? It is, but it was my first time going as press. 
So it was, a, I do feel like it was a different experience for me than last year, but it, but yeah, I, I went twice. Um, I went to seasons two and three. And Emma, was this the first time or had you gone before? This is my first time. Yeah. So who wants to, uh, who wants to give sort of an explanation of what uh, the ATX festival is? You want to tell us what it is, Danielle? You've been there t- twice uh, now. <laughs> I don't want to like misspeak for the for Emily and Caitlin, but I mean, how I feel about it is, if you are a TV fan, and I don't, I mean, like not a casual fan, but like a really diehard. I love my shows, but I love the business of TV and the art of TV. It's the it's the kind of um, I, I mean, I'm kind of loath to say the word convention, but it's the kind of event that you'd want to go to because it's a lot of the behind the scenes the you know there's a there's a lot of stuff in Hollywood where the publicists don't want you to know how the sausage is made so to speak but this is the festival where you get to learn those things they they bring you great tv shows and actors and writers from the shows to promote those specific shows but then they also do a lot of panels that give you kind of the inside scoop on everything from casting to pilot season to um what it's like to be a writer's assistant and it's the kind of stories that when you're in a "Quote unquote policed environment when your, <laughs> you know, when your studio or your network is uh, partnered with with a festival like Comic Con, you don't get to hear those stories because you're just there to sell something. But this is very much just you're there to have a candid conversation with these people. So to me, that's that's really what it what makes it um, unique and what makes it interesting is you get people from all over the industry, people you wouldn't normally get to hear from, um, and of course the reunions, which I'm sure Emma will will speak about as well. But like that's a that's a big deal. Paley Fest used to be about reunions, and in recent years they've gotten away from that. They still do a few, but it's mostly about you know, current shows and promoting them and working with the networks to sell something again. Whereas here they, they say, what do the fans want? Hey, Everwood hasn't been on in 15 years. Hey, Hey Dude hasn't been on in 25 years, but the fans are still there and they'd love to see what these people are up to and what they have to say about the show and we should get them all together. And they actually are able to make it happen, which is fascinating to me because these people are all over the place and how they get them together. I don't know. So that was a really long-winded way of explaining it, but it, it's awesome. It's, it's three days of like talking about TV. It's that's awesome. I don't know how you'd want anything else. Well, all I know is from watching uh, my Twitter feeds and Facebook feeds and stuff like that. This sort of put me over the top that I want to go to season four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, it was just a. Uh, I I like the idea of there. You know, there's some current stuff, but then, like you said, they have the you know. They do like you know some Friday Night Lights stuff and and uh, you know Hey Dude, which is like really uh, far back, and uh, mm-hmm. you know Roswell and Everwood, and so some of these shows that been off the air for a while now that they you know they bring back the cast and and do panels and stuff like that. That 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 in addition to uh, some of the new stuff, and then but then also doing like things like doing an enlisted. Mm-hmm. Panel for like <laughs> sort of uh, a show that you know has a, this sort of f- small but pretty rabid fan base, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and and doing a screening and and stuff like that. That uh, I really like that sort of aspect of it. It, it kind of has runs the gamut of, uh, like you said, it's not just a bunch of new stuff trying to sell you on a recent season of something or something that's about to come. 
Right. Which, they, let's be honest, they are doing that well. As well, yeah. You, you, yeah. you sort of got to do... But it's not all they're doing, and yeah. that's kind of why I like it, you know? Because we get enough of that at TCA and Comic-Con and, you know. So, with that, we'll start with you, Emma. What were some of your favorite panels that you uh, that you attended? I think um, the obvious, obviously, Roswell. And um, Everwood, I actually cried in. So, that was, that was surprising to me because Roswell was... Um, well, both of those shows really were kind of the shows that that got me into writing about TV, and you know, uh, were the basis of the 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 fans that came into Fanbolt, and that was really the start of the whole site. Um, so it kind of felt like coming full circle for me. Um, but those two panels um, were just incredible, and and even the cast, like the everyone would one was. Uh, uh, Vivian Cardone, who played Delia Brown on the show, she was the youngest girl. She's all grown up now. Wouldn't have recognized her, um, but she started crying on stage when she was telling stories of uh, Treat Williams. Um, Tom and Mandy's choked up a couple times. Um, it was just this kind of beautiful reunion of of people talking about something that you know made such a huge impact in their life. And and then too being there as press and getting to kind of see some of the before panel interactions between the cast members and after panel interactions and hearing how fondly you know they talk about the shows and about the cast members that they've kept in touch with. It's just this really authentic, beautiful experience. And uh, another thing I'll say in regards to the panels in comparison to like Comic-Con or Dragon Con or other conventions, I feel like the fan questions are more intelligent at at, uh, ATX and more invested and, and thought through than they are at any other convention. And I really appreciate that as a TV fan. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that... I think it comes from, you know, they're there because they want to know things about how TV is made, you know, and and the things that they ask, they understand that, hey, we have limited time with these people. Let's not waste it on a, you know, generic thing that we've heard a million times before, which, you know, sometimes you see a show or, or a group of actors get together that you've seen a million times and you kind of may say, I'm a fan of them, but I've, what am I going to hear that's new and different? And I feel like at this festival, you actually do hear things that that you've never heard before, because whether it's because people haven't asked before or just the combination of people that get together, it triggers something that, you know, they hadn't even really thought about. But, um, yeah, that was, that's definitely been a very pleasant surprise as well. Just everyone's very respectful and everyone's very smart. And yeah, it's, I, it's, I will say there was one exception to that though. Yeah. <laughs> That was, and I'm still like in total shock about this, but the very last question in the Roswell panel, were you there, Danielle? You know what? I wasn't. It was opposite something else that I was doing. It was, um, so they, the moderator makes this big deal of, this is the last question and better be the best question. <laughs> and so this girl in the back, you know, raises her hand and starts talking. I came all the way from New Jersey and my hands are sweating. And the, and the moderator's like, get to the question. Questions don't start with I, come on. And so then she's like, do you believe in aliens? Which is a question, you know, the cast answered yeah. a million times while the show was on. Sure. But then right after the panel, we found out that was Snooki from Jersey Shore. I heard. I heard she was there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Apparently, well, she was a huge Roswell fan and came out just for that, which blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's the the interesting thing is like not. I mean, obviously, she came out for that 
she wasn't a part of the festival. But what I thought was really interesting was watching the people who were a part of the festival. They, were, they had panels they had to be on, and they still took time out of their, their day or their vacation to sit in on other panels because they were fans and they wanted to hear from people and they you know wanted to learn things about the business. Like That's not something you get at a lot of conventions. And it's not something you can get at a lot of conventions because I feel like it's sometimes – they draw too much attention, but here everybody was just very much about we're hanging out. We're, you know, if you come up to me and you're a fan and you want to take a picture, cool, but you know, fans too. So we're going to sit beside you. There was less of, I think a hierarchy of, you know, let's watch the celebrity on display as weird as that might be to phrase it. And that I thought was really, was really interesting as well. Yeah. Who knew you had something in common with Snooki, Emma? both huge roswell fans uh, amazing see the things you find out at yeah at, at atx at the most random right exactly <laughs> how about you danielle what were some of uh, your favorite panels that you went to um you know i actually didn't do a lot of panels this year which was strange but um I have to say, I mean, Orphan Black was they, – they did a lot – okay, so this year they did a lot of screenings before um, the panel. So this year we saw, for, for example, with Orphan Black, they did Saturday night's episode Saturday morning during the panel. So it was, was a few hours early for everybody and it was – if everyone has seen that episode, it was a huge turning point episode for the season. I'm not going to spoil it because we're not – you know, in case you haven't seen it, we're not talking about Orphan Black specifically, but – Having that episode be something screened and then hearing the the, the writers get to talk about uh, the evolution of the show and, you know, they've been praised for their feminism and their their diversity and, you know, their scientific stories. And, and it's not that they necessarily set out to wear those labels, but just to get to hear them talk about how the show has taken off and how it's made them think harder about their writing, but also, you know they know that they're what they're doing is um in the right vein even if they're not intentionally trying to make giant statements like i those are the kinds of panels i like is to li- to listen to writers um talk about their process and I, so a couple of my other favorites were um the evolution of tv drama which they put together a panel of writers and uh Brian Seabury who's a network exec and an exec from Fox TV. So you had studio side, network side, and then actual showrunner writers um, to get a sense of the the business and the process from both creative and uh, marketability, sellability. Um, and that stuff to me is just, when are you going to get those people in a room together, you know, and listen to their stories and listen to them talk about how, what they're fans of and, you know, that's the kind of thing that I, I love the most. So they, they do a lot of those. And um, I don't know. They did a couple others. They did a casting panel that I thought was really interesting. And they did a um, – it's called Reboot, Remake, Reimagine, where they, they talk to showrunners and writers who specifically have had success with adaptations like Bates Motel and Parenthood. And I, I just think it's really smart, you know, the way that they put together these thematic things. And you g- always get a really interesting discussion and you always get a discussion that is unique to who is on the panel as well. So in theory, they could do the same thing next year with different people and it would be a totally different experience. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty cool. For the panels, uh, you know, you, like you said, they do a lot of screenings and things for some of those. Do they actually schedule them out well for time-wise for giving actually giving time for the fans to ask, you know, questions? I think so. 
I mean, Emma, you can, I mean, you were in different panels than I was, but like, I, I feel like the ones I was in, they were all prepared for that in terms of they knew what they were screening and how long it would be. And then they knew therefore how much time they had for questions. And that's really false to the moderator to say, well, I'm going to write 20 minutes worth of questions so that 15 minutes of questions can be for the audience. Or I'm going to, you know, I, I think that really depends on the individual who is kind of running the panel at that point. And not every, you know, some some of them didn't screen anything. You know, the evolution of TV drama where you've got people from all sorts of shows, they didn't screen anything. It was just it was just an hour-long discussion. Yeah, I, I just know that, like, from things like Comic-Con and stuff like that is they'll always say, you know, we'll have questions from the audience at the end, and then they go to it, and there's, like, a thousand people to get in line. Yeah. And then they have, like, time for, like, three questions or something like that. And uh, that... That always just seems like a waste of, yeah. of, of, of a potential fan interaction time. And this sounded like maybe they give a little more time to, to that in some of these panels. Uh, I, would, I would still say it's only um, – I know in the Everwood one, I think they only took maybe three questions from the audience. And I think Roswell was only five. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the moderators definitely um, had more questions and, and more time for questions than the, than the fans did. I guess sometimes it also depends on who's moderating, yeah, and yeah. and how good a discussion they're creating, right? Uh, as, as to because sometimes you're just sitting there going, "Oh, come on, let's yeah. let's let's get to, <laughs> right, let, let's get going." Yeah, I think that's true um, based on the person, no matter you know where you are. But I mean, I do think the fact that they did as many screenings this year too, it it is unique to this season, and I think it also kind of speaks to the success of the festival, just because. You know, they did have people at studio and network levels trusting them and saying, you guys are legit enough now to screen something early and we know you're going to draw – we're going to draw an audience and we're going to get good buzz going and we trust your audience not to completely spoil the things that we are screening early <laughs> um, because they did a lot of things like the the Dallas uh, summer premiere screened early, the Franklin and Bash season premiere, Strain, which, you know – not even all of the press has seen. Fox premiered two of their fall shows that some of the press hasn't even seen yet. So it was really interesting to see, like, they were putting um, a lot of weight in the screening portions as much as they were the discussion portions. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. So how about in a, in a press situation, either like a press conference or any uh, one-on-one interviews? What were some of your favorite uh, interactions uh, that way throughout the, the festival, Emma? Um, for me, I had a really great conversation with um, Gretchen and Aaron, who uh, produce and write on uh, Revenge. That was probably one of my geek out moments because I'm Revenge is totally a guilty pleasure of mine. Um, but also, I think some of the the parties that we had, we had an opening night party um, for Legends TNT's new show, and then the Netflix party the next night, and the last night was um, the FX Strain party. And for me, meeting uh, Guillermo del Toro was probably one of the biggest highlights of of anything I've done so far. He was just as cool as I thought he would be, really funny. And, like, you know, I got to talk to him for several minutes, and I just – I treasure those minutes. That was, like, my favorite interaction. How about you, Danielle? I'm going to be a nerd and a fan for a minute and say that my – the only thing I wanted out of this entire weekend was to meet – 
Tim Riggins, not even Taylor Kitsch, but like when you meet him in a bar in Austin, he is just Tim Riggins. Um, <laughs> and that happened at the TNT Legends party. And so I got to be my my. And OK, look, I had a great a lot of great interviews, but let's just geek out for a second. Derek Phillips, who played Billy Riggins, and I had talked earlier in the day about the odds of getting a Riggins family reunion. And he was like, yeah, I think that's going to happen. You know, he's in town right now, whatever. And I, he, like, said it in this way that was, like, jokey. But I was like, I'm going to hold you to that. And so then, sure enough, I heard they were all hanging out, and I had to go have my have my moment because in all the years that I've been working in this business, I have yet to interview Taylor Kitsch. So um, that was just really just personally very satisfying for me. But, I mean, I've had, you know, there were a lot of great, like, there's a lot of great energy in that festival, and I feel like, because everyone's having fun, the interviews I was getting were a lot, a lot more candid than you than they would be at like a TCA where everyone's like all business all the time. So I mean, just everyone from the oranges, the new black ladies to uh, the Franklin and Bash guys to um, you know Mark Johnson who who did Breaking Bad and now is doing Rectify to really they were there to have fun and they were there to work, but because they were having fun, the work stuff. Um, felt easier and it felt it felt like they you know were actually having fun with the interview process which is always always nice so yeah there were a lot of cool people I didn't actually get to meet Guillermo but I saw him from across the room and I was like that is so great that he was that he wanted to come out for something like this see you're only making me want to go even more <laughs> no, that's the point, right? Like, I mean, I'm not. And the sad thing is, I'm not get. I'm not a work for this festival. I'm not getting kicked back <laughs> if I like start helping their sales. But it's just the kind of thing that when I was growing up, I would have killed to go to. And I, I feel like the you know Caitlin and Emily who who founded the festival must have felt the same way. And so they made it happen years later. And the great thing is that they're getting together some of these adolescent favorite shows to do reunions and they're doing current shows that people love and so it's kind of the thing of like if you love tv yeah why wouldn't you go jason i don't know why (laughs) i don't know yeah i don't know it's like i somehow heard about it the you know the first year like too late yeah it was Uh, super small the first and uh and then uh, the second year i did apply to try and be pressed but got turned down and 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 didn't go uh, and this last season or this season, I just had like too many other things that I was already, you know, doing or planning on doing uh, that, you know, another plane ticket and another set of hotel rooms was just going to be like one too many. Sure. Uh, but it's already built into planning for next year. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's on the list of things to uh, to to do. And. For a TV, you know, a TV fan, as big a TV fan as I am, uh, it does seem like something like, well, how have you not gone you know, to this yeah. <laughs> to this so far? It seems kind of, you know, kind of strange. Uh, but even beyond the TV, it's Austin, Texas. <laughs> and so my Twitter feed and everything was while full of uh, various celebrity sightings and panels from Austin. It was also full of tacos and barbecue. <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, start with you, Emma. What was the best thing you ate while in Austin? This is like so hard to to say. <laughs> um, I, I I had really my favorite barbecue was Salt Lake Barbecue. It was amazing, 
And then Amy's ice cream. I got the Mexican chocolate. And then I also have to say breakfast tacos at Taco Shack on 4th Street in Brazo. I think that was the name of Brazo Street. Um, was amazing. Like, I, I literally cannot pick a favorite from among those. They were <laughs> so good like i'm in withdrawals now wanting to go back and just shove my face full of austin food yeah it's it's the it's the narrow it down to what was the favorite thing you ate for dinner on (laughs) on saturday exactly exactly (laughs) Uh, how about you danielle well i have yet to be at the salt lake proper i've only ever had salt lake in the airport and i like it but i feel like the actual restaurant has to be a different experience. I, I go to Stubbs every time I'm in Austin. So I, Stubbs, I would have to choose as my barbecue uh, for this one. But Amy's ice cream, of course, as well. Um, I may have gotten it multiple times in my three <laughs> days while I was there. And then oddly enough, I'm not really I'm not really a fan of eggs, but they make a they make a breakfast scramble thing called Migas, which I don't know. A lot of different restaurants do it, but I don't know if it's like just a Texas thing. But that like actually made me really like eggs and I was like shocked. So I was like, this is something that, you know, I'm sure again, it's different no matter where you eat it, but I was very excited to, to find that. And Torchy's tacos, I will say Torchy's tacos are the queso is amazing and just the tacos in general. So good. I feel like I'm gaining weight just listening yeah, to I you know. talk about the food. And the, and the sad thing is like, I actually spent a lot of time eating at the hotel bar because the press room was Netflix lounge press room was basically the hotel bar. And so I spent a lot of time just getting snacks there. They had uh, at one point they did a fried chicken and waffle that was better than Roscoe's. Um, actually, I, I learned I learned this weekend from I don't know if she would want me to name her, but Haley from the Goldbergs was like Roscoe's chicken and waffles is good, but it's not real fried chicken. You need to go to Lucy's to go to Lucy's. So whatever. Their mac and cheese was amazing. Their candied bacon was amazing. I could talk about food more than I could talk about television. So, yeah, we could be here all day. Yeah. Was, you go back and look at the the recap. 20 minutes on the festival, 30 minutes yeah. on the food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, because that's the thing. Like, you, you go to a panel, you eat. You go to another panel, you eat. You go to a, a screening at the Alamo Draft House, they serve you in your seat. They're like, what would you like? There's a menu in front of you. That's not an experience you get at most uh, movie theaters. But you kind of feel like, well, I'm having I'm, – I'm, I'm here. I'm at the Alamo Draft House. This is what it's known for. I want to have the full experience. So sure, I'm going to eat and drink <laughs> while I watch whatever I'm watching. <laughs> and I know that there was a – you know, Bo from uh, House of Cards brought everybody Amy's ice cream in his panel, and I was very jealous of them. <laughs> so it's just kind of the thing. Everyone, you know, you go to Austin, that's what everyone wants to do is just eat their way through the city. Yep. Yeah, this this was just the the segment of the podcast, so I could uh, jot down ideas for uh-huh. places to go next year. <laughs> oh, I could send you a list of other places yeah. too, because there are places I want to go to that I didn't have time to go to. That everyone's like, "This is amazing!" So next year, I'll build it in. I'll have yeah. I'll, I'll spend an extra day or so. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking is you go on like uh, you go on like Wednesday and stay yeah. till like Monday, and, yeah. <laughs> and then you have yeah. you have that extra day to uh, of to actually go, uh, well, what did you do? Oh, I, I'm so full. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Although if you go on Wednesday, you miss the party plane. And honestly, that was an experience <laughs> in and of itself that I would never have traded because I was just amazed by the idea that these actors were willing to put themselves through that. So 
overall, I, I think we've sort of covered lots of different things, but uh, overall, Daniel, why why should somebody attend ATX? I mean, I think it just goes back to like what I was saying in the beginning, that it's this intimate festival where, you know, you actually, you can learn about how television works if you, you know, are interested in that and want to work in this field. But you also have really great fan encounters that you you wouldn't have anywhere else because it is the vibe of we're all just hanging out together. So they're much more approachable than they are at at a lot of other places. And you're seeing people and you're seeing them together in a way that you wouldn't necessarily in other places. And I think for a lot of fans, especially I heard a lot over the weekend of fans talking like they were at a party and, you know, Nick from Revenge is 30 feet away. And they're like, oh, my God, I want to meet him. But I'm so nervous. Like, what would I say? I just want to that here he's totally like if he didn't want to hang out and if he wasn't down to mingle with fans he wouldn't be standing at this party so it's just i don't know it's just a really unique fun atmosphere that that kind of sounds like a little bit like the the wb party at at comic-con is they have a lot of their and you can tell the ones that show up to the party that you know are there to hang out with you know say like quote unquote the people yeah and the ones that are just there because they were told they had to be there, you know, yeah. they're sort of off in, in their own little group off to the side or, you know, away from everybody else. So, yeah, that is the idea that there's more of uh, the people are there and, you know, the actors and the writers that they're all sort of there to just hang out with fans of their. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they're also fans of a lot of this stuff, too. Oh, yeah. I can't tell you how many actors I saw taking pictures with each other because they'd go up and be like, I love your show. Like one in particular who I won't name because she probably would be really embarrassed to meet people. She was like, I would die to be on this particular show. And it was just one of those situations where, hey, you know, you now you have your chance to meet some people who could actually make that happen. You can network and be a fan at the same time. But, yeah, I mean, it's just this was the kind of place where if you didn't feel like hanging out, that was okay. You just didn't come to the parties. You know what I mean? Like there were, there were definitely actors that were really only at their own panels and that's fine. You know, that's, that's what they wanted to do and and that's acceptable. But then if they showed up to the party, it was because they wanted to hang out and they were totally open to, to anybody coming up and starting a conversation with them. How about you, Emma? Why would you say someone should uh, attend ATX? Well, I'm definitely going to go back next year. Um, I totally fell in love with it. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they handle growth, because I think especially after this year, you know, I don't everyone I know just had an amazing experience and was was singing its praises. And even the actors, I find it absolutely fascinating that the actors don't get paid to be there and they have to pay their own way and pay for their own accommodations. And the fact that they're able to get, you know, these people that they get and and have these panels and interactions it's just amazing to me and i'm really interested to see what the growth looks like i hope they're able to maintain the the intimate feel that it has um because it's it's really not like anything else i've ever been to and i the kind of low keyness of it and being able to interact with the celebrities and in a way that's not comic con or not something like you said that they're you know trying to be more professional or more business oriented. Um, it was just a place to chill and everyone was just fans, you know, even the actors. And I was at the FX party and actually saw, it was in a conversation where a showrunner of one show asked a talent from another show if, if she wanted to be on, 
his show. And she's like, yeah, I would love to. And he's like, we're going to write that in next season. And so like getting to kind of see this stuff, it's not something I've seen at any other convention. So uh, if you're if you're a huge TV neat nerd geek whatever um, you're totally gonna geek out over this and it's it's uh, an amazing experience sold I'm going <laughs> right and I, I mean, just, just to talk about the growth for a second I mean I that's something that I did talk to Emily and Caitlin about because I think that's what makes them so successful and so unique and the one thing that they did say was that they don't want to make their panels in rooms larger than what they're currently in. But what they are interested in doing is doing just more of everything, like more panels, you know, maybe another location next year so that there can be more stuff going on either at the same time or maybe, you know, longer into later into the day, um, maybe even, I don't know, at another day. But they, the fact is that like they get it, they get the fact that the intimacy is what's what's special here and they don't want to compromise that. And and the one thing they said was we'll never be in the convention center because that's just not what we are. And I was like, that, that to me is, is they know, you know, they know what their brand is. They know what they're trying to do here. And that kind of says to me, like, that's why they'll be successful because they're not getting ahead of themselves and they're not getting, you know, giant egos. Like, look how successful we are next year. We're going to try to sell out and raise prices and be huge and, you know, they just want to be about fun and about bringing these this community of TV fans together. Yeah, it's something that I've been uh, thinking of, uh, like you, that I've kind of wanted to go to earlier in its you know creation before you go to like season ten and it's like going to South by Southwest or something. You know, and it's just yeah, tons of tons of people and hard to get around. And while it's still smaller, but also if they sort of sort of planned growth where it's just a little bit bigger or, you mm-hmm. know, like you said, it's just a, a few more panels that they can do or, or, you know, where they can go. Maybe there's a few more things happening at the same time uh, yeah. than, than there, than there are now that, that, that type of thing uh, could work. But yeah, I, the sort of, like you said, intimacy of it is, is sort of the right now seems to be kind of the selling point of, that come down and hang out with other TV fans and yeah. and the people that you know make TV uh, for you yeah. know a weekend. Yeah, and I mean I don't want to put words in their mouth again because like I said I don't actually work for the festival. But <laughs> one I mean, one of the things that they they had mentioned to me at least was part of that um, getting bigger in status but not bigger in size is also the way that they work with the studios and the networks and the things that they bring. So that to me was really interesting to watch this year. For example, like they partnered with Fox and Fox was like, you know what? We're going to bring you some of our new shows that won't be premiering to the fall. One that is currently on that we're trying to get more, more and more buzz for. And it, it became a lot about, you know, creating the relationship so that studios and networks said, this is legit and we want our people to be there. Like we know this is happening. Like I, I do feel like in the second season last year, um, it was a lot more about individual actors showing up because they wanted to be there and there wasn't a lot of studio or network representation, um, which is great for fans because you get a lot of the, like I mentioned earlier, the candidness, but it's also not great if the studios and the networks get annoyed that the actors did that and then say, you can't ever do that again, (laughs) rather than just say, let's work with this festival and they're, let's, you know, realize that they're doing something interesting and maybe we should want to be a part of that. So it's an interesting balance right now of the working within the system, but the still uh, candor of 
we're working within the system, but we just we're not working for the system, so we're not shilling your products, and that's all all we're doing. Um, and I'm, that's what I'm most interested to see is as they grow, how much of that uh, the unique panels and the the you know the combination panels and the just even the fact that you could have something called an actor's POV during pilot season and you could hear an actor basically be like, pilot season is brutal. I'm, I feel like I'm a piece of meat. I'm, I go on ca- cattle calls. You know, if you can do anything else, you should because this is a terrible business. Like, <laughs> hear something, hear success. Be so honest and be so open about how they feel like they're not good enough. You don't necessarily get that when they're on a show and their publicist is off to the side saying like, you need to pretend you're the happiest you've ever been, even if you're not. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I, what I've experienced at this festival is a lot of honesty and a lot of openness. And that's what I love the most about it because I'm not out there to write sensational headlines, but I'm also not out there for to, to further feed the machine of bullshit. So I feel like they're doing a really great job at striking that balance of promoting the things that they genuinely feel are, are worth promoting rather than just, hey, you know – we're cutting a deal. I also think, like you said, that the it raising in stature, but also raising in stature for with some of the people that have gone before. Yes, that, absolutely. Uh, not, not just the attendees, but the you know the actors and the the creative types and stuff from these re- cast reunions and stuff like that yeah. that make it sound and look like something that when they go after some other show to try and create one of these big cast reunions from something that's been off for 10 or 15 years that that they'll be like, you know, they'll have heard from others that they had a great experience, you know, uh, going and doing that and they'll want to, you know, they'll want to go and do that. So they'll be able to uh, continue doing more of those over the, you know, the coming seasons of, of ATX, which looks to be, especially as of this year, looks to be pretty solid as something that's, going to continue mm-hmm. you know Definitely. we're in the first season and it was like we're hoping this works out well and mm-hmm. and now it seems to be pretty on a pretty solid uh you know base that it can you know do some really good things from here probably yeah i do think they set themselves a nice bar with they, they they're big about surprises during the festival which um i think is great for the fans too because you kind of have this expectation of well we're going to have fun but we also can't anticipate exactly how much fun for example in season 2 they they brought in Connie Britton and Kyle Chandler for the Friday night lights panel and that was kept a secret that's you know they're headliners that's something that normally you would want to promote the crap out of so that you sell tickets but instead they said you know we're selling it on Friday night lights name and the fact that they showed up as a surprise completely blew everybody away, but also kind of raised the bar for what they can and will do as a festival and what, you know, who they can get in terms of talent. Because people saw that these two actors who are big names and working on other projects were willing to do that, were willing to come down to Texas for this thing. And, and this year they did it again with Lauren Graham and Peter Krause from Parenthood. Um, and they, I mean, obviously Guillermo as well from The Strain, and then they did it with uh, Jason Bear. So it's kind of like every year you you think you know what you can expect based on the schedule they announce, but then you get there and there's even more um, excitement and even more things to, to fill your time with. So I think that also, um, that's part of the reason that they're, they're kind of becoming something to watch. Yep, sounds... 
Sounds good. See you there next year. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> good. Good. I mean, it's so fun. It is. Well, it might actually be a place that I could actually meet you in person, Danielle. I know. Well, you're not, so you're not coming to TCA, obviously. Okay, fine. I was going to say, I'll be at TCA in July, so... I know, because you don't do Comic-Con. Don't do Comic-Con. See, that's the thing. It's not worth it for someone like me because it's too big and it's too specific to genre programming. And that's one small piece of television. And that is that is honestly another reason I really like the ATX Festival is that they don't have a, a bias. They'll, they'll bring yeah, you – It's, it's just bring television. You drop, bring you, yeah, exactly. It's everything. So they're doing something that no one else is doing because well, I think a lot of people look at – drama and they're kind of like well you know people are fans of dramas but who's really going to come out and be fanatics but they do (laughs) we've seen that they do (laughs) so we've seen that they do on social media so obviously you can take the passion on social media and put it in a room and it's going to be that much more amazing well sounds pretty good and uh, emma i will see you at comic-con in a few weeks i will be there (laughs) (laughs) all right that'll do it uh for uh talking about ATX and uh, we'll move on to the primetime segment a couple of shows Halt and Catch Fire uh, season 1 episode 1 IO and episode 2 FUD new show AMC we'll start with you Danielle what do you think of Halt and Catch Fire um I like it I don't love it I don't know if I ever will love it but what I what are the things I I do like the most about it is Lee Pace, I've always found to be such a charming, likable man and actor, and his character isn't really charming or likable. And I find the, that dynamic so fascinating to watch him navigate, try, you know, navigate the likability, the relatability, and also at a certain point just embody this guy. And and it's a it's a very different viewing experience for me um, because I like him so much, and I I feel like a lot of times when we like an actor, we um, justify or otherwise just kind of I don't I don't know what the word I want is but otherwise just kind of uh accept some of the things their characters do and say oh they're not so bad because of who the person in the role is but I think because this is a period piece and and based on history it's a little harder to do that and so I like watching him in this role and and kind of seeing where he's going to go and how much growth he'll have um, above and beyond the actual story itself, because to me, I, I have a hard time when I look back on historical things and I, I know what's coming and I know the questions that should be being asked. And, um, when they're not in the story, it's, it's hard for me as a viewer to (laughs) say like, why, why hasn't anyone thought of this yet? But I think, I think actually, you know, in, in Halt and Cat's Fire specifically, they do have that character represented. They do have someone who's saying like, we need to be ahead. We can't just make a personal computer to, to to rival IBM, we need to think about the next step past that because right now we're catching up to IBM, but we need to be thinking about usurping them. Um, and they they represent that point of view, I think, pretty well. So I, I like it. I think it's a little maybe slower paced than I would that I would prefer, but um, definitely interested to see you know where it goes and and how successful these characters are. How about you, Emma? Well, let me say this one is near and dear to my heart because it actually films here in Atlanta. Mm. So um, we have sirens going off around me. I'm in a severe thunderstorm warning, so if you guys lose me, I'm sorry. (laughs) 
Sirens are probably not a good sign. Not really. Not for like rain and thunder. I mean, I've never been in that situation. Do you need to like get to a bunker? No, I'll, I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it films here in Atlanta and I actually know um, several people that are involved with the production. So I had very high expectations going into it. Um, and of course, being a, a tech nerd myself, I was really excited to see what they did with it. Um, I, I completely agree with you about Lee Pace. I have a, a, a huge crush on him, always have, <laughs> since Pushing Daisies. Um, and it's completely a 180 from that character. He's playing this kind of sleazy salesman who, you know, we learn in Sunday night's episode, it's, it's hiding something. And there seems to be some sort of mental problem or psychological Mm-hmm. weirdness, craziness, whatever you want to call it, um, which I find really interesting. And I know, you know, coming from the Breaking Bad team, I'm really excited to see how they kind of explore um, the psychology of, of what is going on with uh, the character of Joe. But that being said, um, last our Sunday night's episode, really, there were several parts in it that I didn't feel were very strong. Um, one scene in particular when Joe and Gordon get into a fight in the parking lot and just kind of the the dialogue and how that scene unfolded did not seem organic or natural to me at all. It seemed um, very, very poorly put together. And I'm hoping that that's just a kind of a one of thing, but it, it just kind of turned me off to it. I'm still going to keep watching. I still love the concept of the show. I still, um, of course, love, you know, seeing the little Atlanta landmarks all over the place and them trying to make it look like it's, you know, 1983 around town. But yeah, so I was a little, little disheartened by the second episode, but I still, I still like the series as a whole and I'm excited to see, you know, we've had this whole kind of trend with tech programming, Silicon Valley, of course, being super successful and then taking a more, you know, doing a drama look at that, that genre and and, and that industry is really interesting to me. And especially, you know, with the whole relationship of, you know, uh, Steve Jobs and Jobs and uh, uh, Wozniak, I'm really interested to see. And that's kind of what I expected. I expected Lee Pace to play this kind of smart jobs like character and not the sleazy salesman. Um, but it, it's keeping me interested. I'm, I'm excited to see what he does with this character and how they, uh, how they evolve that kind of, uh, crazy, whatever's going on with him. I don't know if it's a mental problem or, or stress or what, but I'm excited to see, uh, what is actually going on with him. I like the show. I like the show more after the first episode than I like it now after the second episode. So, you know, the scene I'm talking about, <laughs> well, <laughs> There were a few things in the second episode that just sort of bothered me. Like, I didn't understand, like, why he didn't tell his wife that Cameron was a girl. Because there was no, there was no, like, there was no reason at all. Like, (laughs) Well, but see, like, you and I say that, we say that now because now it's a lot more equal. Like, I think back then it was very rare to have a woman in that position. And so, like. No, but I think seeing, like, I don't know. At first I thought maybe he didn't want to say that because. His wife is sort of technical as well, but yeah, uh, but she's not really being used to. But because there was no like sexual tension or anything, you know, or or any type of thing. It just, I don't know. That just all felt weirdly weird. But overall, for the show, there's a couple things. One, with it being set as a historical drama, but in a fake company, mm-hmm. but mentioning real companies like IBM and Texas Instruments and. Uh, you know, all these types of things. It just bothers me a little bit in that, you know, 
if we're talking about the, we're setting this in like our real history, nothing ever comes of this company, you know, because you've never heard of anything from them. Mm-hmm. Are they ever going to win? Like that's like where is their where is their possible going? Are they going to be like the company that like did win but just got buried by the bigger company and uh, you never heard of. Uh, uh, you know, they're they're really heard of their product type of th- I don't, like where are they going like with that type of story? And the other thing that bothers me is for Lee Pace's character is again after this, uh, you know, Cameron comes in and calls him on. You know, you totally just made that story up, right? And you don't know how much you know. You know, he mixed a couple of things, but like, where did he get those injuries? Was is that was part of the story true? Was it not? You still don't know anything about him. The only thing you now know is that he was at IBM. He left IBM, and when he left IBM, he trashed the place and and then disappeared for like a year. Was he really just trying to find himself or what should be his next thing? Uh, you know, They need to tell me more about him. I need to know the character's motivation. I don't, I don't understand why other than to sort of try and get back at IBM because something bad went down there. Uh, you also seem to know that his dad is somebody important, right? Either at IBM or someplace in Texas, but you just uh, so far I don't know like why. I want to know why he's doing this, and it seems like that's something they're going to be holding out on, and I can't really get into it if I can't if I can't follow like the the character's motivation of why he's doing these things, right? Yeah, I mean I agree that I want to know more about him, but I. I kind of feel like we got to know more about him from the fact that he created that convoluted story than if that that story had been true. Because I don't want you to, first of all, give me your backstory in an expositional monologue that you're screaming at somebody. Um, I I think we learn more about a character when we see the lengths that they go to to keep their secrets or to keep mystery about themselves or, you know, for whatever reason. So... That didn't bother me as much, but it will bother me if we don't start to see more unravel around him soon. I mean, if whether it's we spend more time alone with him and get the truth that way or because he actually starts to grow and evolve and open up to someone and we get it that way. I, I mean, there there are a lot of things you can do with that kind of a character. And I just I agree with you that, like, I don't know if they're going to hold out and and wait till the end of the season to give answers in a show that is paced this way, I feel like I, I trust in the fact that we're going to get the answers. They're not going to come immediately. But to me, that feels more true to life anyway, because we don't know each other's motivations on any given day, We especially when it's someone we've just met and entered into kind of a shady working relationship with anyway. And it's a nice lesson for Gordon, but it's also kind of a nice lesson for the audience that, you know, this is a this is a cutthroat world. And we don't really know who is trustworthy and who is uh, setting people up for failure versus success. So I don't know. That's the kind of stuff that like I put a lot of stock in the way it's played because they're only going to give you so much with the actual dialogue and the actual uh, story. So I just would hope that regardless of when we get the answers, that Lee Pace has the answer so he can play it that way. Cause I think when they get, when actors get blindsided with, a piece of backstory, sometimes it's detrimental because they could have been playing something and seeding it all the way through if they had known. 
So I don't know. I mean, I, that's the kind honestly, that's the kind of stuff that I'm, I'm interested to learn. I, I don't, what, you know, the fact that it's a fake company and, and they may not actually be successful. Uh, that's, I, I think that's almost a more interesting story, but to me, that's more backdrop anyway. To me, it's more about these people and how they individually, growth or success or failure or a giant conglomerate completely burying what they're doing. Well, I, I get like, I can, I can sort of follow the, the guy that had been just, you know, he had tried to do something really great and just got buried and is now become just like sort of a nothing at just going through his day. I can see his motivation. I can see like why he would go, go in on something like this. I can see Cameron's motivation as uh, potentially getting to do something as a you know a young woman in the in the 80s something like this being able to actually do something with all the stuff that she knows but then like the third main character I it just seems like they've created some sort of mystery to create a mystery right now is what it feels like and I feel like at least the like maybe other characters don't need to know but it seems like one of those things that the audience needs to yeah, I agree. Be able to get in on, even if you said, like, you see, like, him trying to keep something from people finding out, but yet the audience finds out while the yeah. other people don't find out. Because right now, I he went from being, you know, sort of this guy that was trying to weave his way into this and created this situation to now all of a sudden he's like, the other thing was he all of a sudden it was like he's got, like, less of a plan than you thought he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, now all of a sudden he's just like uh, pulling things out of the air, like creating a portable, you know, computers where they say they're, uh, you know, they hint at going towards the in the next episode, which I actually thought was really funny because I actually have a compact luggable somewhere, which is like a twenty pound like XT computer that looks exactly like a suitcase. <laughs> That the bottom of it is comes off and it's a keyboard and inside is a, a small, a small little green screen and two floppy disk drives. Uh, nice. It's a. It, I came across that somewhere a long time ago and I've just. It's like no, I have to keep that. That's just like this yeah. weird piece of computer history that uh, is is too funny. And so that was the first thing that popped into my head when <laughs> when they're talking. When I when they saw the preview for next week's episode of, they're talking about uh, going going smaller, but I don't know. There's just I don't know. There's just a few things after the second episode that I was less enthused to, of mm-hmm. of going forward than I was after the first episode. But I'm gonna give it a you know a couple more episodes to see, uh, you know where it goes, and uh, you know if they give us a couple of those things. Right. Uh, but if they don't, you know it may. It may turn into a penny dreadful situation. I mean, before and out. <laughs> All right, I think that's uh, uh, that's enough of halt and catch fire. And uh, next up, talk a little bit about uh, chasing life, a new ABC uh, family show, which uh, premieres tonight as of the day that we're recording this. So, talk a little bit about season one, episode one, uh, the pilot. And uh, Danielle, what do you think of uh, chasing life? I refer to Chasing Life as the big C light because I feel like it's the kind of show that it has all the heart and all of the family and all of the, you know, diversity that an ABC family show today is known for. But it has such a serious topic at the center that even when 
they're doing other things or they're, you know, you've scenes with other characters. It's like this weight that's on the show and on my shoulders watching the show that I need to be in a certain mood to watch it. Um, I think it's really well done. I think Italia Ricci is going to be a huge star. I think she's very, very talented. And I think that it's it's a really interesting story because you you start with this girl who has – you know, she's just starting her career. She's interning as a as a journalist. She like has these great ambitions and all these things she wants to do, and she's and she's just completely blindsided by by this diagnosis of cancer. And and the show then becomes a lot much a lot more about her trying to navigate and balance her family life, her work life, her friends life with this other thing that most people kids don't ever think will happen to them. Um, and I think what's most interesting to me is will be or will be how she shares the information, who she chooses to share the information with, how she goes forward, because you get that kind of bomb dropped in your lap. And the way you react is often out of, you know, shock and denial. And, and that's not necess- the, the, the decisions you have to make in that instance of I have to save my life are often snap decisions based on the information um, and not being able to handle the information. And sometimes in the long run, the things you do can hurt you. So that to me is what's most interesting about the show is like watching this girl potentially spin out and potentially, you know, it's going to sound weird, but like lose herself in a little way like that, you know, just the, the things that she wanted to do and who she thought she was. Um, is going to change dramatically. And of course, you know, there's, it's an ABC family show. So there's a lot of family drama. She's, you know, raised by a single mom, grandmother's in life, has a sister, um, has, has friends around her, but then also learns a pretty big family secret above and beyond this cancer, this cancer issue um, in the, in the pilot. And I feel like it's setting it up for some success in the cancer area because there's, there's another place to go should you need bone marrow or blood or whatever. But it also adds to the whole, I can't deal with my life right now because there's too many bombs dropped at once. And that's the kind of story I like to watch is just people kind of struggling to keep their head above water because they had a plan and then their plan gets completely derailed. You know, you hear the basic premise of the show and you're just like, okay, that's a, you know, that's something do I really want to watch a show, you know, going in where you know that the the lead is getting cancer? Right. And, you know, that's sort of a, a heavy topic to uh, to do. But I think they do a really good job of handling it. And like you said, uh, uh, well, once I get over – once I got over how much Italia Risi looks like Shiri Appleby. She does. <laughs> like, I know. It's so crazy. It's like – Every time I see her, I just like, oh my god! It's like almost exactly. But you know, getting into the show, you know, I was really uh, surprised by it. Uh, so much so that had access to the next couple episodes and ended up just you know watching those uh, right after. And that's a sign to me that I like something when yeah. I want to watch more and have more and instantly watch more. Is when you when you come to the end of something and you're just like, well, I could, you know, I want to see more of that. Yeah. Which is, you know, an interesting proposition for you know, <laughs> a, a show like this. But I think they do a really good job of handling, you know, of handling it going forward. Uh, and but ho- the whole being a different premise than something like The Big C, 
of revolving it around you know somebody that's just starting out really uh, and you know things are just starting to you know potentially look up at work and uh, you know in in various things and then have like you said not just like a huge bomb of like you're sick come out of nowhere because of a fluke where you actually end up getting tested yeah that's honestly that was to me one of the more interesting ways that they told the story was because they they set up who she was and her life before so it wasn't like opening scene cancer diagnosis you don't know why it matters but also the way she found out where like she could have gone on a lot longer and never known and i think to a lot of people like that's what you'd rather you'd rather not know but you, she, you have no control over the situation. You didn't say, I don't feel well, I walk into a doctor. It completely came out of nowhere. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, that, was, that to me was really clever and just a really um, interesting way to tell the story. Yeah, and then, you know, and then they drop, uh, you, know, another, you know, another thing on her. And then, yeah. you know, the, she's, you know, dealing with her, uh, with her family. And, but I think... I just, you know, I really liked her. I, I, I thought they, uh, thought they handled the, you know, the whole sort of situation and uh, the setup uh, of, of the story really well. And as of now, I, I'm on board. Uh, yeah. You know, for the the rest of the season, and you know, ABC Family shows are, you know, I don't know. It's like I really like Switch at Birth, but not so much the Fosters. You know, it's like, mm. uh, you know, there's sort of goes back and forth on some of their on some of their shows and this one is you know i i like i like this one a lot yeah <laughs> like, <me too. laughs> and that it's it's weird to say about a show that where the lead has cancer it just uh, because they they end up they do have where the the show is just not dour all the time too uh, mm-hmm. you know going forward so but i also think it comes down to the fact like this is really it's a show about this girl and she just happens to have cancer. It's not a show about cancer. Yeah. You know I mean, like, and going forward, who knows if it'll change, but you know, there, there are a lot of shows where the, that takes front. And, and I guess to be fair, it should, because it's a very serious topic, but like that, that takes over and, and it becomes the issue show. And I, I agree with you about switch to birth and the fosters. I like both, but I like switch to birth significantly more because I think that it's just about people in certain situations and I think the fosters can be heavy handed with their issues of the week um, and I right now having seen three episodes of Chasing Life I would put it more aligned with Switch to Birth in the sense that it's about these people with cancer as a backdrop for this one girl um, and to me like she's a really dynamic character that I want to watch and I want to see succeed and I want to root for. And of course I don't want to die. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, you're invested in her from the beginning because like I said, you meet her and you get a sense of who she is and what her life is supposed to be before you find out that she has cancer. So I don't know. I think it's relatable even without that very special, unique family cancer situation. Yeah, I think uh, don't let that be a, like a deterrent no, uh, for no, no. not for not watching. There's there's too many shows that people uh, just like won't watch because they don't. It's like I don't want to watch a show about cancer, right? You know, things like that. It's just don't let some little thing deter you from watching what might end up being a, a really good, yeah. or at least so far I think is a is a I really totally good agree. drama. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. Well, that'll do it for that'll do it for the primetime segment. 
and Emma being a Roswell fan and, you know, Shuri Appleby, this seems like a show that you should be able to watch just because you'll be seeing somebody that looks like somebody you like a lot <laughs> in the in the lead character. <laughs> you guys have sold me on it. I'm totally going to check it out. <laughs> so next up, uh, TV recommendations. Start with me. My, my recommendation is uh, Friday Night Lights, kind of on the topic of the, just covering... I've heard plenty of people that like won't watch the show because they're not into football. <laughs> and I'll s- tell you the same thing I always say is if you think that Friday Night Lights is about football, then you must think that Grey's Anatomy is about running a hospital. Because uh, it's not. That's not what these shows are about. It, that just happens to be the backdrop for some really great stories uh, that take place inside, you know, sort of the teen drama uh, category. But the adult cast is really great uh, as well. And uh, other than maybe some missteps in the beginning of season two, uh, overall a great uh, thing. But it uh, popped back up in my head because of ATX, and they had a. They always seem to have a panel uh, around Friday Night Lights. Uh, you know, it's Texas. It's set in Texas. ATX is in Texas. It seems to be a good uh, a good match of things. Uh, but Friday Night Lights, that's my uh, recommendation uh, as one of my favorite shows that uh, you should, uh, if you've never watched, especially if you've never watched because you don't like football, this is something that you should uh, check out. How about you, Danielle? What's uh, your recommendation this week? I, 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 this seems kind of obvious, but Orange is the New Black is my recommendation. Wait, what? What show do you speak of? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Exactly. I, I mean, it, again, it's kind of on topic for the, the ATX Festival, but um, season two obviously just uh, premiered on June 6th on Netflix. And I was one of those crazy people who would like sit in between panels at ATX and watch new episodes. Because I, need, <laughs> I like needed to know immediately what happened. Um but above and beyond the show, which obviously the show I think is just one of the smartest shows out there, best written, best acted, talk about, you know, dealing with important issues, but being about amazing characters and amazing stories and, you know, kind of introducing you to people that you would never have thought twice about. Um, but above and beyond that show, I would say they also specifically recommending the app that, the, that Netflix just created for it because it's just really fun. And like, you can do weird things where you obviously, you know, they have things from the cast members and from Genji on there, but you can also do weird things where like you put your face on porn stash. So you get the like you get a profile photo for your Twitter avatar that's you with the porn stash. I don't know. It's just really fun, and um, it just kind of you know takes your your viewing to that second level because now you can, like, mess around and do fan art and interact with things. And I, I think that it's really interesting just to watch those things pop up now with um, – it's not just obviously about watching a show. It's also about this next level. So – um, I can't say enough good things about Orange is the New Black. I could literally talk to you about it for a podcast by itself, and it would be another record, so I won't do that. But obviously that is my my big recommendation. Well, speaking of records, is Danielle, you still hold the record for regular episode. Sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but for special episode, we had an episode that ended up being three and a half hours, but it was an episode that I recorded with multiple people at – different segments and ended up putting it all together as one episode. So it's not, it's not the same as one setting, one recording. So you still Mm -hmm. hold the record for that. Okay. 
I don't know if I should be happy about that. (laughs) All right, Emma, what's your recommendation? I'm going to stick with the ATX theme as well and say Roswell. Um, it was really interesting. They actually screened the pilot at the uh, at the festival, and because of music issues, they had to cut out all of the music from it. And it really like made it apparent how much music really played a role in that show, and and especially with the chemistry between the the two lead characters. You know, the songs really amplified that, especially in the pilot. Um, so I felt like I needed to go back and rewatch the pilot just to like experience <laughs> that again because I I didn't like it without music. I was like, this needs music. But still, I think it's it's one of those shows that was um, definitely an inspiration for later projects in the kind of supernatural, um, you know, young adult genre. Uh, one of the questions they asked during the panel was, you know, how much did they feel like Twilight stole from Roswell? And I would argue that you know. Lots of shows have have borrowed from Roswell. Starcrossed was very similar to Roswell, um, so I think it's it's really cool just to like go back and rewatch it and see how um, you know modern day projects have have looked to that or been influenced by that or if they have been influenced by that. Um, so it's just kind of cool to go back and and you know relive some of my teenage years while watching it. <laughs> All right, well that'll do it for uh, the TV recommendations and. Uh... With that, we'll close out the podcast. Uh, You can find links uh, to the news stories we talked about, uh, as well as the recommendations, and also where you can find uh, Danielle and Emma online in the show notes at tvtimes3.com slash 230. And uh, let us know if you uh, attended uh, ATX uh, this year, or if after all our talking about it, if, like me, you're (laughs) thinking about going next year, let us know in the comments on the show notes, or email us via feedback at tvtimes3.com. Uh, Next week, uh, Amory and Ray will be back with me, and uh, we'll probably be, uh, I don't know, maybe talking Game of Thrones season finale, or, well, Amory's going to be on the podcast, so we'll probably be talking about Undateable, Uh, (laughs) and and you can look forward to uh, uh, those types of of things next week, and with that, the opening and closing music is provided by IODA Promonet, the song is TV Party by the Asylum Street Spankers, from their Mercurial title put out by Yellow Dog Records. And uh, thank you again, Danielle and Emma, for joining me on episode 230. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me, too. We sit glued to the TV set all night. And every night. Why go into the outside world at all? It's such a fright. We got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple of brews.